We're blessed this morning. We have a mission Sunday, and just uh, by sheer coincidence, uh, we have our uh, missionary to France. And I say our missionary to France because Jonah was sent by this church to France. And and just a little bit of the story, kind of a fun one. Uh, Jonah and Amy came here for seminary. And they were counseled that if you're going to go into the ministry in foreign countries as a missionary, you really ought to attend a big church because that's how it'll be easier to raise funds. And yet God seemed to be calling them to our little church, and at the time it was our little church across the street. And um, none of us quite knew why, but we trusted God, and he provided. Um, I don't know about you, but I would find it really tough to pick up and move to the other side of the planet. So this morning we're blessed to hear Jonah. So we're going to do something a little different uh, from what you probably do here for your scripture readings. I'm going to ask Lenora to read the text this morning in French. This will give you a taste of the language in which we work and minister over in Lyon. So I will hand it over to Lenora. Let me get you a microphone, Lenora. Okay. And maybe that's not going to work. Uh, This one, yes. Ecclésiaste 1, verset 1 à 11. Parole de l'Ecclésiaste, fils de David, roi à Jérusalem. Vanité des vanités, dit l'Ecclésiaste. Vanité des vanités, tout est vanité. Que reste-t-il à l'homme de toute la peine qu'il se donne sous le soleil Une génération s'en va, une génération vient, et la terre subsiste toujours. Le soleil se lève, le soleil se couche, il aspire à retourner vers le lieu d'où il se lèvera. Allons vers le sud, tournant vers le nord, tournant, tournant, ainsi va le vent, le vent qui reprend ses circuits. Tous les fleuves vont à la mer, et la mer n'est pas remplie. Vers le lieu où il coule, les fleuves continuent à couler. Toutes choses se fatiguent au-delà de ce qu'on peut dire. L'œil ne se rassasie pas de voir, et l'oreille ne se lasse pas d'entendre. Ce qui était, c'est ce qui sera. Et ce qui s'en fait, c'est ce qui se fera. Il n'y a rien de nouveau sous le soleil. Y a-t-il une chose dont on dise Vois ceci, c'est nouveau. Elle a déjà lieu dans les siècles qui nous ont précédés. On n'a point souvenir du passé. Et ce qui arrivera dans l'avenir ne laissera pas de souvenirs chez eux qui viendront dans la suite. Merci, Lénora. C'était gentil. Let's read it one more time in English so that you understand what we, um, what we just said. So we'll turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. 
All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Before we go any farther this morning, uh, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, this word that is living and active, this word that penetrates our, our hearts, our, our souls, our minds. I pray, Lord, that this morning you would speak to us through this word, this inspired word of God. Help us to put your word into practice for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, have you ever asked yourself, uh, what, is, what is the point of faith in God? What significance, if any, does belief add to, to, to your life? Why waste your time looking to heaven when there's plenty to do down here on earth? Why bother praying to some unseen God when the world is full of tangible pleasures to enjoy here and now? or very real needs that that require a very real response here and now? Why draw our sense of meaning from some unseen God when we can create meaning for ourselves? Now, these are are big questions, right? The meaning of life, what drives us, what keeps us going. These are the questions that that keep philosophers awake at night, and maybe other people too. But even the brightest minds of the last several millennia haven't made a lot of progress in this area on these questions of meaning. But Ecclesiastes 1, I think, was written to respond to these kinds of questions. So we're going to look again at Ecclesiastes 1, if you've got your Bibles open. And I think this is, this is what we need to get. This is what we need to understand. Here's the, the, the big idea of these verses, okay? In a world without God, in a world without God, life is meaningless. In a world where God does not enter the picture, humans are doomed to bromidic futility, right? If, if there's no God, reduct you ad absurdum, life is meaningless. Uh, the, the first two verses of Ecclesiastes might just contend, I think, for the, the most depressing verse in the Bible award, if such a thing existed, right? Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. This isn't a great way to start things off, is it? So we do need to back up and look a little bit at the context here. I think if we really want to understand this passage, we need to ask ourselves, who is this teacher and what is he really trying to, trying to tell us? Now, we do know, looking at verse 1, that he is a descendant of David, right? He's a king in Jerusalem. We know if we read the rest of the chapter and the rest of the book that he's a very wise man. So there's really no reason to, to doubt that Solomon is responsible for, for these words. Now, I read from the NIV this morning. My Bible or translation calls him the teacher. Other translations might refer to him as the preacher. Okay, but the Hebrew word koaleth or ecclesiast in Greek means something a little bit different. In fact, in the ancient world, a koaleth was somebody who, 
who gathers or assembles the people in order to bestow wisdom of some sort on them. So our author is a kind of teacher, he's a kind of preacher, he's a kind of philosopher, but more importantly, he's a kind of shepherd who's gathered the people together in order to tell them something very, very important. And what is it that he tells them? What is this pressing, vital information that he has somehow gained access to? What, what is it that would compel him to gather the people together, to, to, to silence them with a wave of his hands, to clear his throat and speak? What does he tell us? Life is meaningless, and you're better off dead, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. Now, just one more brief Hebrew lesson here, okay? Bear with me for just another second on this. Uh, the word hevel in Hebrew literally means vapor or mist, okay? So everything is, is vaporous. Everything is fleeting. Life is smoke. It's nothing more than a breath that is exhaled and that dissipates in the wind. Absurdity, futility, insatiability, enigma... That's the idea. The passage is literally saying that everything is nothing, that all is waste. Now, have you ever tried to shovel snow in a blizzard? Uh, We get a lot of snow out here in Colorado. Maybe not the blizzard conditions that I grew up with in the Midwest. I remember uh, growing up in southeast Minnesota, if you want to shovel the snow during a blizzard, you you grab the, the snow in the shovel, you throw it into the air, and it doesn't matter which direction you toss the snow, it's all going to land back in the exact same spot right? It doesn't matter how many times the snowplow passes. It doesn't matter how many times you shovel the sidewalk. If the wind is blowing, it's a futile task. And and that's really the idea here, futility. What the teacher wants us to understand is that we live in a futile world, a meaningless world under the sun. So your family, your spouse, your work, your hobbies, your travels, all of your favorite music, your favorite movies, all of that stuff, it's meaningless, Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All of the pleasures in life, all the fun, the sex, all that stuff. Meaningless, right? That's the idea. Now, I think the, the teacher is more than just a philosopher. He's not just a philosopher. He's not just a questioner. He's not just a cynic. Okay, this is a man inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to make us a little bit uncomfortable, to remind us that in a world without God, life is absurd. And then to make matters worse, our teacher, the Koaleth, points out in verses 3 through 7 all the ways that the universe mocks us. Okay, we gain nothing under the sun. He tells us you're an insignificant piece in an infinitely large puzzle. And nature is no better off either. So we have these images that that he gives us in the text. We we have the sun. He starts with the sun. The sun drags its, its carcass across the sky and sinks down into the western sea and then pulls itself back up again. So we have this image of, of the movement of the heavenly bodies, okay, the earth, the moon, the stars, that, that kind of thing. It just keeps going around and around. And then we, we have this image of the wind. The wind blows and keeps blowing. It keeps moving. The air keeps moving. It's never done. And then imagine being a molecule of H2O. You float in the sea... And then you get evaporated, and then you float in the clouds for some time, and then you get rained down on the earth, and you end up in a, in a puddle or stream somewhere, and then an elk slurps you up, and then you're past, 
and, and on it goes. So we have this image of the water cycle. Nature just keeps going. It just keeps going. In a world under the sun, where God does not enter the picture, all that matters is those things that we touch and taste and, and, and see and smell and hear. All that matters is the ephemeral, right? The, the fleeting physical cycle of life. In a world under the sun, there's no afterlife. There's no God. There's no eternity. Now, maybe some of you have seen the film Groundhog Day. Have you heard of this film? It came out in the early 90s. I think it had Bill Murray. He was the, the, the main actor. And the, the, the film follows the life of this, this small-time kind of news anchor who's sent to cover a story about a groundhog on Groundhog Day. And so while he's there in this little town covering this story, he gets caught up in a kind of time loop. And so every day he keeps waking up in the same hotel room at the same time, to relive the same events over and over again. And at first, his reaction is, is to despair, to panic. But then, he, he realizes that he can engage in every kind of vice, every kind of pleasure imaginable, and he does this for a while. But then when that doesn't satisfy him, he begins to despair even more, and he eventually commits suicide. But what happens? He wakes up again in the same hotel room on the same day to relive the same thing. So his suicide attempts become more creative. It's kind of a funny movie, but I think it really captures this idea of futility, of meaninglessness, right? It's a horror to live in that kind of, in that kind of cycle. And this is exactly the kind of life that so many of us live under the sun, an absurd life in an absurd universe with no hope in God. St. Jerome a father of the early church, commented on the irony of the absurdity of the universe when he said, there's no vanity vainer than this, that the earth which was created from man, this earth remains, yet man, the caretaker of the earth, dissolves into dust. You see, the universe mocks us in a way, right? The universe mocks us. Now, this concept captures, I think, really the futility of religions like Buddhism or, or other Eastern pantheistic, uh, non-dualistic religions, which teach that man is nothing but a drop of water whose sole purpose is to be reabsorbed into the ocean of nothingness that is the universe. Man's lot is to relive the same meaningless life on the wheel of samsara, the, the, the wheel of reincarnation, until he's finally, he finally attains enlightenment and then is ingested and ultimately digested by the universe. And you see the irony here, the, the despair of this kind of thinking. The universe, our blind, unthinking mother who birthed us, turns on us and devours us like, like Saturn the Titan who devoured his own children in Greek and Roman mythology, if you remember those stories. A universe without God mocks us. Now, if you're not um, thoroughly depressed at this point, let me just add a little more to your, to your misery because that's, that's what we do. So look at verses 8 through 11. Okay, verses 8 through 11. In a meaningless universe, we are erased by time. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. And we waste hours of our time on the intellectual latrine known as social media, right? Absorbing other people's garbage. And we never seem to get enough. 
We have access to more media than at any other time in history, more entertainment than at any other time in history. And yet we seem more dissatisfied and impatient than at any other time in history. We can never seem to get enough fast enough, right? And then we rush out and we buy the latest smartphone only to find that it's become dated, if not even obsolete, within a few months. There's always something more. We forget what we see and what we hear moments after seeing and hearing it. We're always looking for the next thing. And worse still, we will be forgotten. We will be forgotten. Can any of you remember the names of your your great-grandparents, the first names of your great-grandparents? Maybe a few of you. Can you remember the names of your great-great-grandparents? See, we, we, we tend to forget these things. Uh, can, can you name the, the leading uh, intellectuals of uh, 100 years ago? Can you name the best-selling author from 100 years ago? Can you name the gold medalists in the Olympics from 100 or so years ago? I can't even think of who won gold medals in the Olympics 20 years ago. You see, time erases us. And how much less will the insignificant masses of average people, you and, and I, be remembered? In a world under the sun where God does not enter the picture, time erases us and we are no more. Right? In, in a world without God, life is meaningless. And I hope, really, that you're beginning to see the reasoning of the teacher in, in these verses. I hope you're beginning to see what, what he's up to here. I think the koaleth, the, the, the teacher is trying to make a point. Without even speaking the name of God, he wants us to understand something very important about the nature and character of God, about the, the, the nature of the universe. And maybe you, you notice that God's name is not mentioned in this text. But here's the idea, and it's kind of an argument in a sense, a, a cosmological argument. If God is not the explanation for the meaning of the universe, then either the universe would have no explanation, which would entail nihilism, or the universe would be self-explanatory, which would entail pantheism. But either way, a universe without God is meaningless. Nihilism doesn't work because nihilism only gives us these kinds of glib responses in, in the face of, of the ghastly vicissitudes of life under the sun, right? And, and pantheism, on the other hand, would have us believe that we, as personal, relational beings, somehow partake in a, in a divine but impersonal an unrelational universe. These positions simply aren't intellectually or emotionally satisfying. We can't ignore the vanity of this fallen world. Now, the French philosopher and devout Christian Blaise Pascal, and some of you are expecting this, I, I tend to quote Pascal quite a bit, so we're going to do that today. And we're going to do it in French because it just sounds better, right? So Blaise Pascal said, Qui ne voit pas la vanité du monde est bien vain lui-même. Which means... Anyone who does not see the vanity of this world is truly vain himself. You see, we as Christians need to recognize the vanity of this world under the sun, but we do not despair in the face of vanity. There's more to the story, right? There's more to the story. We don't just live in a world under the sun. We see beyond, right? There are precious realities over the sun, 
above the sun. There's a God who created us, who loves us, who steps into this world under the sun, and he takes a hold of the meaninglessness of the world, and he tears it apart, and he fashions something purposeful and new, right? He takes a universe that mocks us, and he summons it to declare instead the glory of his name. And he enters into chronology, into the chronology of time that erases us, and he shatters the power that time exercises over us in order to welcome us into eternity. The cross of Jesus Christ changes everything. And if we repent of our sin, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then the world's absurdities cannot drag us down. And the universe cannot mock us, and time cannot erase us, you see. By faith in Jesus, we are introduced to whole, a whole new reality above the sun, over the sun. A world where the God of the universe makes himself known to us. And he heals our hearts. Behold, I am making all things new, said Jesus in, in Revelation 21, right? And then think of Second Corinthians 5.17. In Christ you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. In Christ, meaninglessness is transformed into meaningfulness. In Christ, futility is transformed into fruitfulness. In Christ, absurdity is transformed into lucidity. We begin to see things clearly. Now, I hope that as you ponder this text, and I would encourage you to ponder this passage this week, As you ponder this text, I hope you're truly confronted with the uncomfortable reality of life under the sun. This passage, I think, awakens us to a very real dilemma. What do we do in the face of vanity? I think we're in danger when we think that we can create meaning for ourselves. And we're in danger when we think we can simply ignore the problem. We can't afford to be swept away by the world while ignoring the most important questions about life and death. We need to pay attention, right? I was in Brussels a few weeks ago. Uh, This would have been actually probably more like a couple of months ago. I I travel to Belgium from time to time because I do some studies at a, a theological school in Belgium. And so I was in Brussels waiting for my train to go back to Lyon. And the train pulled up to the platform exactly where it was supposed to be at exactly the right time. And so I got on the train and I sat down and I opened up a book and began to read and I was just ready for my my voyage back to Lyon. And then suddenly the doors shut and the train started to move. And normally this is a good thing because it means that I'm, I'm on my way home. But something was a little off this time. I didn't hear an announcement for the departure. And I noticed the train was moving in the wrong direction. (laughs) Now, it got a little more strange when we started pulling out of the city. And a few miles down the track, we pulled through a maintenance shed, a warehouse, some kind of thing like that. And then about a mile later, we just stopped in the middle of a track next to a lot of other trains. It got really strange when the engine was turned off and the lights went out. So after opening the emergency exit door and jumping out onto the track and hiking a mile back to the maintenance shed where I was laughed at by a group of Belgian rail workers, (laughs) I finally found my way back to the station 
and got on the right train. I was not alone, though, by the way. There were others on this train, too. There was a miscommunication, so it wasn't just me. But why do I tell, why do I tell the story? Well, it's funny, right? It's funny. But also, because in the search for meaning, many of us either fail to or refuse to pay attention, right, and to see the truth, and we get on the wrong train, and we end up in a dark rail yard outside of Brussels, or worse, we end up traveling a road that leads to nowhere but everlasting separation from God. We need to pay attention, right? We need to pay attention. So we can't ignore the problem of meaning, and we certainly can't fix the problem of meaning, If we are honest with ourselves, we need to admit that we do not have the competency to create meaning in our own lives. Imagine that that one day a very young child with no absolutely no cooking experience whatsoever, who doesn't know how to read a recipe, decides that he wants to make dinner for his family. So he goes to the kitchen and he, he, he starts to cook. He wants to make something very, very technical, very, very complicated, something French, probably, right? So he starts cooking, and, and how do you think dinner is going to turn out? How do you think it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out in the end? When this little young chef who doesn't know how to read a recipe presents his family with their, with their supper. Well, it's going to be a mess, right? It's going to be a complete disaster. And in the same way, what do we expect will happen when fallen, sinful, imperfect human beings try to create meaning without divine guidance? It's going to be a mess. Right? It's going to be a disaster. And so because we can't afford to ignore the problem and because we cannot fix the problem, what hope do we then have? Well, again, I want to point you to hope in God. God changes everything. The cross of Jesus Christ changes everything. And in some ways, this is a frightening prospect because it means that we are accountable to God. Remember that in a meaningless world, Nothing ultimately matters. But when the God of the universe enters into the picture, everything takes on new meaning. Nothing is innocuous. Now, the world tells us a lot of things about meaning and how to create meaning in our lives. The world says, and you've probably heard these things before, but the world says there's no ultimate meaning, there's no ultimate source of meaning, so go ahead and define yourself any way you want. That's the the big thing we're hearing in the media right now, defining yourself choosing your identity, that that sort of thing. But God says, no, I will define you. I will ascribe value to you. The world says there's no ultimate meaning, so make life whatever you want it to be. But God says, no, you exist for the purpose of glorifying my name. The world says there's no ultimate source of meaning, so seek whatever path brings you the greatest pleasure, brings you the greatest happiness. But again, God says, no, follow the narrow path that leads to life. The world says there's no ultimate meaning, so believe in yourself. How many times have you heard that just this week? Believe in yourself. But God says no. He who believes in his own fallen, fallible self will die. Believe rather in me. We have something better. We have a world where the creator God enters into our absurdity and he brings everlasting hope by his grace. We live in a world where the God of the universe cares about the most seemingly insignificant aspects of our lives. We live in a world where the God of all creation loves his fallen creation so much that the the Son, God the Son, came into the world to die in our place so that we can have eternal life. 
And let me encourage you with this, Bergen Park Church. Some of you may be struggling with questions about meaning, personal significance, that that kind of thing. You might be asking yourself where you fit in the church, where you fit in your community, where you fit in ministry or in leadership. But I want to remind you that as a creation of God, as a follower of Christ, you are a bearer of meaning. You bear witness to significance in God. You are a bearer of meaning who has a meaningful message for those living in despair in this world, in this community. And we need to recognize, I think, the meaningfulness that God brings into our lives. We need to recognize this value in others. Jesus came into this absurdity so that by faith in him, we can say, meaningful, meaningful, my life and my future are meaningful. Let's pray. Lord God and Father, you ascribe value and meaning to this world because you are the creator. You transform lives of sin and despair into lives that are rich in meaning. You call us to faith in the Son. Help us to boldly bear witness to the significance of the cross of Christ. Direct us by your revealed word in Scripture. Help us to relentlessly weed out the meaningless things that drag us down, the trivial things, the worldly things, and guide us toward meaningfulness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.